Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Training Ground Podcast with your host, Kevin Barry. Today, Kevin is speaking with Patty Perry. Patty is the lead coordinator of the Waterford and Wexford ETB FAI football program, which is run out of Waterford, Ireland. Patty has six years of professional academy coaching experience from his time working with the UK-based football club, Reading. Patty also has a UEFA A license and is currently working towards the Elite A license. In our episode today, they'll discuss the program format and goals of the ETB FAI program, the importance of developing player discipline and accountability, the need for a strong coach-player relationship, why academy players always need to have a plan B, his thoughts on coaching education and current coaching pathways, and advice to players considering moving clubs. When did you get back uh, home? So I moved home. I moved home would have been probably two years ago now, close enough. Yeah, just over two years ago. Um, it was only that the fact that there was a, a job came up probably close to home was the reason I probably took that. It was just one of the things that there's not many football jobs in Ireland, but when one comes up in your own city, in your own town, you kind of be thinking, right, this might be this might be good timing. Um, when when you originally came back, um, did you finish the season at Redden then, or was it mid-season? How did that work it out? Was, it was pre-season, so we were just starting. So it it was a bit messy. Things were up in the air. We had a new academy manager came in as well. We didn't really know what age groups are going to be working with. Uh, it looked likely I was probably going to be with the 16s again, plus still my old kind of a second kind of view team I used to do. It's like a, a development program that the club would run. Most clubs would have that, like a a second scholar program and you run it from a school it's giving me an education and then they play in a, a Premier League Reserve League type thing uh, I do that and I take an age group or two with the club that's the way it would work the group that I was with I was kind of after following them for kind of four years I had them actually when I went there first on their 10s it was gas and then I had them again at 14s, 15s and then into the 16th season um, so that, that was kind of where I was looking but again things were changing at the club and uh, by the time that they came around to kind of speaking to us and that, it was, my mind was probably already made up, you know. Um, that That's kind of the way I was. Yeah. What was, when you came back, what was the initial job description or job title at the time and has that changed for you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm an ETB coordinator, right? So what it is, it's, it's an FAI-run programme. So if you remember years and years ago, there would have been FOSS courses, right? And mm-hmm. they were probably designed for kids who are probably either didn't do their leaving cert or might might not get enough points to go on to college or might just be in that little bit of a a phase where they didn't really know what they wanted to do at a certain time in their life, which is fair enough. So what these courses provide is a year's education and a year's football where you kind of tailor their academic stuff around working in sport. You play football every day and then you look at their exit route. So each kid is different, Kev, you know what I mean? Each each success story would be different. This year, for example, we have two, as I said, that were offered scholarships in America. We have four that are going to be offered scholarships out in the wish. And we have probably a four or seven or eight that are going to go on to third level. Now that's probably 13 or 14 kids out of 21, which is incredible success. That's, that's mm-hmm. it's just the way these things develop, you know? Um, and it's it can be a real good year for grounding we try and give them tools and habits to carry on into life and not just not just on at the college. If they're late for us, they get fined um, because they get paid to be on the course. So if you're going to be late every morning, 
you're going to get fined for it because if you're late every morning when you go to your job in the future, you're going to be sacked. So you try and teach people habits that way. Kids this year who've, who've come out with between 350 and 400 leading star points because that's what you get from from our courses. You can earn up to 400 leading star points, you know, um, in around that. And we've had lads who've got nine out of nine distinctions, eight out of eight distinctions, whatever they're doing. And girls have been unbelievably successful coming off it the last couple of years. And I think people don't see that, but what it does do is if you're thinking about doing something in college and you do it in a level five as a kind of a precursor you'll know straight away, well, do you know what? I'm actually really enjoying this. I'm enjoying doing anatomy and physiology. I'm enjoying understanding nutrition. I'm enjoying going into a gym and instructing people. Then you know that, yeah, actually, I think I'm going to do one of the sport courses. I'm going to do a sport and rec course or I'm going to do a health science course. Um, and it just gives you that year of understanding, well, yeah, I actually, I'm really into this. Or you might go, do you know what? I'm not, I'm not totally sold on this. I think I might go down the business route. And that, that's fine. That's what it's about. It's, that's, that's what we're here for because you see a lot of people who go to college, Kev, who will pull out after three months because it's not what they thought it was going to be. And they probably haven't got the right support network to stay in there either, you know? Yeah, I see that here a lot. Um, there's kids that come just to play sport and they come in and they have their degree is undecided. And it... It can work out okay, but by and large, it doesn't work out very well. Um, the kids are paying a year, two years, you know, 20, 30, 50,000 going into debt, and they still don't have a decision in two years' time. And, and Kev, unfortunately, you might have a decision in, in 10 years' time because I went to, school, I went to college at 27, um, 26, I think I was. Body, my body felt about 66. And <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I just think that this extra year, it gives people a little bit of maturity. Um, I'm not going to say that we're quite hard on them, but we're quite real with them that this is what time we start, this is what time your lunch break is, this is what time you finish, and you don't take the piss that we, we try and give them habits and standards that they can take forward with them, both on and off the pitch. The, the last thing you want to be doing is promoting people and ah, look, yeah, come in a half an hour later, it's no problem, or yeah, look, you can go home now or whatever, because what's going to happen is you're doing them a disservice because when they go into the real world, they're going to get eaten up and they're going to get sacked. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to get let go. And, and that's what happens. Um, and I think I think these courses are important. I think that the people running the courses are important in these kids' lives. And I was actually speaking to a guy yesterday who runs, who runs this course down in Cork. He's in football a lot longer than me. He's actually played for Celtic. Mick Conroy, his name is real, real top football guy. And I spoke to him yesterday about a couple of things and we just got chatting. He said, Pat, for me, the greatest pleasure and the greatest satisfaction I get is if I walk down the street and I see I see a lad coming up to me, he might be pushing a pram and he go, oh, all right, Mick. He said, Jesus, Mick, that, that course was only 10 years ago. It was the best thing i ever done. I went on to college. I'm working now full time. I have a little and um, living in a three-bedroom house, so such and such a place, um, and that's that's very very rewarding, you know. And as much as I was saying to you earlier, I don't get, I, I probably miss working with a certain level of player, and you see them making their debut. I had a couple of the lads that made a debut last week that I would have I would have been very very close to in terms of having them for three or four years. You still get the same kind of buzz off of someone say, tapping on the back saying, "Pad got that job." Um, we have kids today actually today is round one offer so we just had one kid take into the group and thank you very much I just got me offer you know and that's rewarding in itself you know you try and take in probably as many good footballers as you can but again they have to be good people you know 
Um, and that's the way it is. That was the biggest, probably the biggest thing for me was getting to my own head that I'm not going to be working with a certain level of player every day. And mm-hmm. although I knew that, I kind of wasn't prepared for it. Now, don't get me wrong, some of the players we've had have been really, really good. Um, we've had some really, really top players. And we are next year going to have, we're going to be strong again next year. But it's just having that base of 16 to 20 of a certain kind of elite standard that I'd miss. And I knew I would. And I have done. Like, it's, it's something that I probably haven't got used to yet. But it, that's, that's more, it says more about me, I suppose, than anybody else, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, Paddy, I've been following, like I said, League of Ireland, been trying to keep up with it, in particular at Warford FC with the 17s, 19s, and then the first team as well. Is there any link between your program? I know it's Warford based, um, working directly with Warford or indirectly? Yeah, I think it's it, at the minute it's more of an indirect one. Um, I obviously would have had a conversation with, with Rennie when he was in with the first team and obviously with Franny and that, and I'd have a good relationship with the likes of Gary and, and Rocky and people at the underage uh, set up and Connor Code and that who would have been involved there last year. And I think it's important that we do have a relationship. I've had a couple of conversations maybe about going back in with the, the academy and stuff, but never really at first team level. We try, and get, we try and build a relationship early with them. So this year I'll go in again with the 19s and 17s and see which kids are in sixth year. Um, and we'll then look at, offer them the opportunity of potentially coming in and, and I'm looking at the programme. Again, I can then decide, are they the right type of person? Because I'd, I'd obviously have that relationship with the, the academy staff that I can say, look, what's he like as a kid? What's she like as a kid? I've got to look out for her education wise, blah, blah, blah. You're, building up, you're almost building up a profile early. Um, and we like to do that with a lot of clubs. We have, we have ex-students now who have gone on to coach local clubs here who are ringing me saying, listen, Pad, such and such a fellow is at the trial. He's done really well. Um, he's a really good kid. And just giving you a heads up, you won't have any problem from him. And that type of information, Kev, is it's gold us because especially with, with so much of our stuff being online last year, if that happens again where we shut down and we need to we need to get people to do their work and do it online and do it remotely, I have to trust them, you know. Um, so at the minute, with the likes of Walford and Wexford, and I suppose with the grassroots, it's more of a it's more of an unofficial link. If things were to progress and to evolve, I, I'd be happy, you know. Yeah, I've, I've noticed across a couple of different teams now that the underage staff is local, but then when you get to the first team, it's not. I, I think that link sometimes is is a tough one for a lot of kids. Yeah, and that's the thing. And I think that the staff have been in the academy now for, for a good number of years. And I think obviously with Rennie and Franny, they were familiar faces in around. Obviously, they went a different direction with John Sheridan. They can do that. That's no problem. I do think it's harder then for local kids to develop like you said a relationship and develop an understanding so if, if it is a local one you'd like to think that they'd have a bit of previous with these kids and that they'd be given an opportunity because as I said the work that's gone on at academy level there the last few years and with, with them coming in with us full time it, it does make a difference to them certainly technically it does and you, mm-hmm. can, you can help them then physically even in terms of having days off and understanding what days off mean is it an act of recovery is it a total chill out is it going to the gym to build power um, you're just giving obviously the opportunity to go and give himself the best chance you know yeah I think that's even more important for clubs from a distance we can see that Waterford is maybe not as well funded as they have been in previous years at the first team level so having that direct link to the youth team seems even more important than it was in the past yeah I think that's for football in general now after COVID I think there's going to be less money floating about and 
I believe it's going to be in the long run good for young players because I do think that clubs are now going to have to go and say well we can't give X and X amount of pounds to somebody we're going to have to go and trust this kid and give him an opportunity and give him a chance and I hope that's the case because I do believe that there's a lot of talent in this country and I see the work that goes on in, in other courses that, that run like ourselves we've there's 10 of these or 10 or 11 of these courses all over the country and I see the work that goes on I see the work that goes on in and like you said 13s, 15s, 17s, 19s leagues I see the people looking after them you see the success stories you see the success stories of the underage international teams um, I think that look I, I do think there's a lot of talent in this country and I do think that through this difficult period there might come a little bit of silver lining and that these kids might get an opportunity you know yeah, hopefully so. I'll be following from a distance. Good man, I wouldn't doubt you. I wouldn't doubt you. The, for the academic side, do you handle everything there? Or like, what's the daily breakdown with that? So daily breakdown. So we, so we have, we, we're FAI run, but the ETB sponsors, so the ETB are the education training board. They're absolutely brilliant. Um, and they're very, very good to us. Very good to the program. The FAI then would be the sponsor body. So they would be the ones that kind of have the name behind it. And... We are, we are run by a company called Little Lane. So they provide the academics. So I think every year I might go to tender where you go to a different kind of academic body and they might say, yeah, look, we can do this and this. Mm-hmm. So they come in and teach most of the modules. Um, myself and Mark, Mark Barry be the, be the assistant coordinator. We do the football we do the football stuff and we do the coach ed um, and we get lads in from the FEI to do our badges with them. But the Little Lane would be the ones that would do the other academic subjects. So on a Monday, they might do communications and gym instruction and then we train in the afternoon on a Tuesday they might do anatomy and physiology in the morning and then we train again in the afternoon Wednesday might be game day for us uh, Thursday they might do double education and we might just train for an hour in between where we try and just do a little technical practice um, and that's kind of the way it works you know you'd you split your week kind of half and half mm-hmm. but we're very much we're very much, and I'd, I'd always say, what you are off the pitch is often what you are on it. So if they are in the classroom and they're lazy and loose and timekeeping is not good, then they won't play because chances are they leave you down on the pitch then as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, you got to be full rounded there. Yeah, yeah, you do. Again, it's it's habits of a lifetime. You're trying to give people habits going forward that's going to take into their careers, whether that's football or not. Um, if some of them are lucky enough to go and make it in football, they've got to make sure that. They, they don't get their manager sacked. So I'd say to them, well, if you're late and you're constantly late or you're loose in training, chances are you need to get your manager sacked or you won't play yourself. Because if it's a job now for your manager and a job for you, you've got to be on it every day, you know. And some, some kids, unfortunately, and some players will get you sacked. Other players, they'll keep you in the job, you know. And I just remember the likes of yourself from, from obviously coaching against you and that you'd be one that you'd be looking at, he'd he keep a manager in a job him because I'd imagine you were one that was always training, never late, never messing about, never worried about Kevin getting up late on a Sunday morning to come and play. And I think they're the ones that ultimately will end up doing well, you know? Yeah. But it's, it's a tough, tough one because, you know, with me working at the college level, I work with probably 400, 450 kids, but there's always that percentage. We try and get as low as possible. Um, but there's always a percentage that aren't going to be compliant or, you know, aren't really going to push themselves. No, and that's, that's in life in general. I think that's, that's just the way it is. And that, that can be a big frustration. And for a lot of people, it's very hard to see past that, you know. And I know we spoke earlier just off when we were talking about why would you play when you're that, when that age and stuff. And I think that's what drives people mad, that when the ones that can don't, 
I think that's what drives people mental, you know, because mm. I would have been a little bit probably like yourself where, like, I don't drink. I never drank. So growing up, when the lads were all doing their things on a Saturday night, I wasn't. I'd stay in, watch match a day, get up and play the following day, no problem. Um, and I think, I think a lot of people who who don't do that probably take for granted, you know, um, yeah. and that can be the biggest frustration, but you can only help these ones so much. You can only do as much as you can. And what you have to make sure you, you don't do is leave those ones take too much of your attention because you end up missing out on somebody else. Maybe, you know, um, often they're the ones that drain you and they take up a lot of your, your week. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, well, I didn't really give Kevin much attention this week and he, he might be needing a bit of a dig out, you know, so you just got to make sure there's a balance there and, Although you can be supportive, I think you also got to make sure that everything went in balance um, and you make sure that the rest of the group are looked after as well, you know? Yeah, I've always thought, you know, like 14 to 17 really see a lot of changes in footballers, but for sometimes you would think that that positive change in that player is just attributed to all the negativity around them, so, or like lifestyle choices. So maybe, yeah, he's getting better, but all of the people around him or his teammates are starting to drink you know they're starting to stay out they're starting to do everything else so maybe maybe that difference is not as high as you know what it could be yeah I think it's it's a conscious decision you're probably maturing a little bit as well and it is a decision you make you can either go with the crowd or you can get your head down and, and do what you need to do um, I know there's a lot of peer pressure now and I understand that um, but at the end of the day it's, it, it's a choice and it is a choice you're making and we do have decisions and we do have choices and that's why I feel that it's unbelievably important now for managers and coaches to build relationships with their players at every level, regardless of what it is, grassroots up to right to the very top. Like I'm, I'm a Chelsea fan. I'm not a Liverpool fan, but I, I'm envious at how Klopp's players react to him because you can see that they all want to play for him and you can see that I would imagine he can knock on his door and he'd be our best mate and he'd give you advice. And it's not one of them ones where he's a bit reserved and a bit of a, a standoffish character. I think coaches now have got to be absolutely on and with their players and understand that that player that might be seen to be going off the track a little bit well why is that happening has his mum and dad split up is his dad gone to jail is is there stuff going on in the home that you don't really know about and if you don't know about it and he's coming in and messing on a Tuesday in training and you're just constantly at him you're never going to get anywhere but mm-hmm. I think understanding the person now is it's incredibly important you know yeah absolutely just taking a step back a little bit when you said you were at Redden and you, you went up and up in ages with working with you know the same team do you, do you think that's the best way to go forward locally like at home Waterford um, or is it best to have a coach that says you know I'm under 14 and every year they take a different group I think I think at Redden is a little bit different because I think at each age group I think you need a different kind of skill set right so when I went there first I was with the 10s were my team say and but I also took an under-18 kind of second scholar squad. But then I might have also taken under-15 and 16 training sessions during the week, which they wouldn't be my team. But it was quickly quickly apparent to me that I wasn't an under-10 coach. That wasn't my skill set. They are absolute experts at that level. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But by me having that experience, it made me a better coach without question. So... For for the players, Kev, I think it's important that sometimes they have a different voice, and I think that sometimes you can react and take take the good and bad from coaches if you have them every every year or two. I also think that for the coach himself and any young coach starting off, I think it's unbelievably important that they get that balance that they get 
an under 10 team and they go and manage a men's team and they go and manage another 13 girls team and they get as much experience as they possibly can because only, only truly then can you can you kind of give people that lend your experience back to people because you've gone through it yourself yeah um, for the kids I, th- I just think in our in our at the time, it was a really good side. Me and the other guy that were looking after him, he's now the, he's now twenty three's coach at Red. He's the best coach I've ever worked with. Um, just because he, he's obviously played the game, he's had four or five hundred games under his belt. He always said to me, "Simple was genius," and we worked really well together. Um, and that group were, were a really really golden group. And there's actually, I just looked at the squad list last week for Red. And there's actually going to be seven or eight of them. We're given squad numbers this year, um, which is really nice. And I have to say they've texted and they said listen thank you very much look what I got blah blah which is again is it's really nice to hear from I do tr- tend to try and stay in touch with with some of the players as much as I possibly can mm-hmm. but I do think that at that time it was just the one where we've had success we understood the group will you work with them again next year yeah we will and that's just the way it went but you know yeah. and but I don't think it's always going to be the, the way to go I just think at that particular time it was it was definitely the right thing to do yeah, I remember when I was first starting in strength and conditioning, I was working for free. And um, just to make money, I ended up working for a club. And they said, you know, what age do you want to work with? I said, well, whatever you can. And they gave me six to eight-year-olds. Nice. <laughs> I'd never worked with them before, but I did realize after two or three months that there there was some takeaways. Even non-football, just how to get your message across or, you know, how to work with different personalities, small things like that. Yeah, it does, and it, you quickly get taken out of their comfort zone, you know. And it's a, it's a, it's a real eye opener, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. But it, look, it's important, Kevin. It's unbelievably important because there'll come a time where you let me have to pass on your advice to somebody who's asking you. Well, listen, in my experience of looking after that age group, this is what worked for me, mm-hmm. you know. And like I, I remember, I remember going and watching sessions, and we'd be trained at seven o'clock. The little ones would be in the dome at six o'clock, and you go and watch it because it's it was carnage. It was just like street football and you're thinking, yeah, this is brilliant because this is what it should look like. Yeah. It's exactly what it should look like. Goals all over the place, kids having fun, kids getting knocked down and getting back up again. No problem. Because that's, I think we take the joy away from it a little bit and I think some coaches do take the joy away a little bit from, from kids because I think, I think some coaches think it's all about them, you know. Um, yeah. Leave kids be kids, leave them be street footballers. In my opinion, street footballers are often the best because you can then try and mould them but yeah, it was just one of them ones that you, you, it's so so enjoyable to watch it, you know. Um, and you see, even on the weekends, they'd be playing and they'd be playing against other teams and Chelsea's and Arsenal's and they score a goal and they, they decide who does the best celebration and that. That's what it's about. Absolutely, yeah. at that age, that's what it's about, you know. I think that's one of the problems here in America is that a lot of kids just with the setup for, you know, like suburban living for a lot of people and the pay-to-play system that there's not a lot of people just playing outside and um, training yeah. sessions are almost too structured, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'd agree with you. And I'm afraid that after lockdown, it gave coaches an awful an awful long time to start doing obsession plans and thinking that this is the best thing in the world. And listen, sometimes it's with all the best intentions. But a lot of time, Kev, simple is genius, you know, and especially for kids that age, you let kids be kids. And you give them basic instruction and at certain points, at certain age groups, you start speaking about different things like tactically what the opposition are doing, what happens with five minutes to go if you're winning 1-0. That comes later. That's not a problem now. And once they can just get away from the fact that winning is not everything, and more to the point, once their parents can get away from that fact, 
then the world's a brighter, play, a brighter place, you know, and the more kids that get out in the street and play football, the better, because that's where, that's where we all learn. I'd imagine you growing up, growing up on the street, playing in Mount Sinai or St. Paul's, whatever it was, that's, you, you were touching the ball, Kev, I'd say five or six hours a day without even knowing it really, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think our age group, um, so I'm 27, why age you, Paddy? I'm giving you 10 or, 10 or 11 years, but I'm 38 now. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think our age range was perfect, to be honest, because we, we were one of the last groups to be out there every day playing football. You don't really see it as much anymore. No, you don't. You, you certainly don't. Um, um, but I think it's up to it's up to coaches to be a little bit creative now some way and, and bring that back a little bit. So just go training and let's, let's start with the game. 10v10, 8v8, whatever's going to be, let's start with the game. No problem. Let's bring in two footballs. Let's be chaotic with it. And it, it's that's what it's about because often your best learning comes from that, you know. Yeah, it, it can be a little bit of a risk for a coach as well, though, where it's not, which it's not supposed to be, but it's not a coach-centered approach to training, you know? No, and, that, and that's it. I think that's where an experienced coach would understand, right, this group today, they're in school all day, they're getting out here now for a couple of hours, let's just have a little bit of fun. Or it's the one where, right, we've a game the weekend, they're a little bit older now, I need to get them on side here a little bit. We'll have a little bit of a fun warm-up. we do a couple of little tie games. And then it'll be a little bit, a half an hour for me, which will be my little tactical work. And then we're going to finish off with some games and some fun. And that's that's the way to be. But I think coaches need to understand. And the best coaches often understand, Kev, what's, what's warranted and what's, what's required and what time, you know. Mm-hmm. If you're training, say you have a game on a Saturday, um if you're working, you know, as a volunteer basis or you're working part-time with a team and you only train twice a week, yeah. Um, how would the two sessions look if you're training Tuesday, Thursday? What would your focus be on for each one? So are we talking, say, men's team? Are we talking kids? Or... Um, let's go with the under-16 team. Under-16, local, local under-16 team. Um, you would have to then... Without going to, you'd have to understand, right? Are they are they after playing in school already that week? Did they train that day in school? Had they got Gaelic training the night before? That sometimes would have to mould your your session. Say they didn't. Say in an ideal world, which is not, they just play football, right? So I would say on the Tuesday, you would do a little bit of reflection on the game the weekend that's just gone. So you'd probably do a little bit based on what was good and what wasn't so good on the weekend. And you would probably do a lot of your heavier work probably on the Tuesday night. On the Thursday, you'd probably look forward to the weekend's game with the opposition. So you'd be thinking to yourself, right, we're playing Bows the weekend. I think we can get Adam down this way. I think the two fullbacks are a little bit weaker. Let's let's have a look at getting the ball wide and looking at making getting some good crossing into the box and making some good runs. And that's that's what you probably look at. So it wouldn't be a reflection, wouldn't be looking forward to to probably the weekend's game in mind, you know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I've seen it work both ways with looking at the opposition. Um, I've worked with coaches before that don't look at them at all. And yeah. then I, I worked, uh, played with a team at home. I won't tell you the team because he's still out coaching. But yeah. um, the, where the coach looked at just the opposition, it was never about us or our tactics. It was like, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And when we played yeah. the first game of the season, I can tell you it didn't go well because no one had confidence. And, that, and that's the thing. I would, I've always been lucky that not that I've had good teams, but we, we've been in a situation where I trust the boys and I trust the group or the girls, whoever it may be, I trust the group. And 90% of it would be about us. And if we do our jobs right and if we do things well, 
things should go away the weekend. If they don't, it's probably out of our hands a little bit. Um, and I'd never overly worry about the opposition. And any, and that's been just been the way I've been, I suppose, through, through all my coaching. Um, looked at it probably in more detail when I was in League of Ireland prior to going over to England. Uh, Shane Keegan, the fairness, was very good at knowing prior what, what the opposition team was going to be and what their setup was going to be. And we could work a little bit off that. But again, it was nearly more focusing on how we can hurt them as opposed to the other way around, if you get me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, is some of that a requirement on the UEFA level too, with different badges that you you do have to look at opposition? Yeah, yeah, it would be. It would be, yeah. You'd look at, you look at opposition and you look at system versus system. Um, and I suppose at the level that the level that they're trying to get you to, you'd hope that that's going to be the way it's going to be every week that you're against high-level opposition and you'll have an analyst and stuff. That's, that's the dream, but it's, it's very rarely the reality, unfortunately. But that's, that, would be, that would be a lot of the learning would be, right, you're going to watch Italy against Spain here. And when you come back next week, I want you to be the Italy team, have them watch Spain. Where do you think their strengths and weaknesses are? And how would you, how would you coach against it? So that's just kind of giving, a, I suppose, giving you a little test as opposed to training your football knowledge, really. And are you... Are you seeing where the weaknesses are, and are you able to exploit them? And that's that's the way it is. And listen, it's it's a really good system, and I think the the Irish coach Ed system is really good anyway. I've always enjoyed doing doing badges here. Um, but again, I just hope that coaches don't take that take that too literal because some coaches are only as good as the last coaching badge, if you get me. And yeah. they start coming out with big buzzwords from this, and all of a sudden, after two or three months, it's forgotten about, and you're back to you're back to kind of your old habits again, which. It's not. It's not what you. Not what you need to be doing. You know. Yeah, I've always wondered with the courses because yeah, I, I would assume the course materials are the same for each participant. It's just, um, you know, what they get out of it. And I've been curious to see if um, all coaches coach the same. You know, after they get the badges, but it doesn't appear that way at all. Yeah, I, I hope they don't because they're not trying to create robots. They're just giving you the tools, I suppose, required to to go into your club which is yours, your team, which is yours. And you need to go and make sure you mold that into whatever shape suits your players. And that's what it should be. And that's the way it, that's the way it needs to be. Um, there is a lot of mechanical, robotical coaches out there. I've seen them here. I've seen them in the UK. I've seen them constantly. Like I said, they're either as good as the last conversation or they're as good as the last coaching badge. And that's, that's kind of the way it goes. But listen, there's a lot of good being done in this country in general but on, on coaching courses whether that's here or the UK or Netherlands wherever you go they're literally giving you guidelines they're giving you the tools and they're hoping then that you can go and make sure that you can kind of pass it on to your players in the best manner possible that helps them and suits them you know yeah absolutely one thing that I took for granted growing up was that all the coaches I worked with were doing it for free it's only yeah. when I moved over here that I realised that you know it, it takes Two, well, the two hours of their training a week, the game day, getting there early, and then dealing with the frustration of only six or seven people showing up. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult, Kevin. It's getting harder. It's um, it's becoming more of a thankless job, grassroots. It is, and it's becoming harder and harder to find good people. I think that people aren't as inclined to give up their time as much. Um, what you find is. A lot of parents are doing it, which is great, but they mightn't have been the most knowledgeable in the world. They're doing it out of the best intentions, of course. Um, and that's why these courses can be so important for them, because it kind of just gives them little guidelines and it gives them little structures, I suppose, that they can partake onto it. But 
I admire anybody that does anything at, at grassroots level now for free because I understand how hard it is to give your time up um, for nothing. And I know it's becoming harder and harder. Like I, I've seen clubs since I've been back here and scrambling, scrambling to get people to help them. And it's uh, it's hard and it's, 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 certainly not a, it's certainly not a part that I miss, I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Do you think some of it too is the, the, the loyalty factor from players that... Um, are so freely moving around now and changing clubs every year. Yeah, it is. And I agree with you because at the end of it, when they're finished playing, are they going to be loyal to one club? Well, no, because they probably played for five or six. It's different if you're at a club 20 years and you can say, do you know what? They were really good to me. I'm going to give something back here. And uh, it does. And that also, I think what you're talking about there in terms of players moving and that, I think that also has an effect on, like I wouldn't take a team here now and that would be one of the reasons for it. It'd be that would drive me absolutely off my head. This constant kind of carousel of movement uh, every every year, and you're worrying about this fella and that fella, and you're, you're then you're trying to if you're trying to sign one or two, you're being accused of things, and it's just not for me anymore. Um, and listen, I come from a family steeped in, in grassroots football. I understand what it's like. A lot of my friends are still doing it, um, but it would drive me mental how freely people move. Uh, and I, th- I do think that's what that's what turns a lot of people off. But also, it also has a knock-on effect then on people returning back to their to their clubs as coaches because they they mightn't have a club at the end of their career. Do you know they yeah. might have five or six? Yeah, that makes sense. But at the same time, when is the right time to move for a kid if they're developing? We've seen with the introduction of the League of Ireland under 13, 15 leagues. Yeah, um, like when's the right time for a kid to to make that step up? Or there's always going to be risk involved. But how do they weigh the pros and cons? Yeah, you need to be balanced. You need to understand that each path and each child is different, and success looks different for each one. If you're if you're a late developer and you're playing every week at your club and you want to go and play League of Ireland, but you're not guaranteed to play every week, I think you're best off staying at your club where you're getting more contact. You might end up playing a year up, which gives, gives your own little, little battles and little challenges. But I think each, each child is different, Kevin. you just got to make sure that the environment that they're going into is better than the one before, and that's the coaching environment. That's if mum and dad can get you to train and then get you to games, because there's a big commitment, especially in that League of Ireland stuff, there's a big commitment in that. Um... You've also got to make sure then that if if that goes well and somebody else wants to take you from the UK, say, for example, are that League of Ireland club going to stand in your way? I've seen that. Um, so you've got to make sure that you're not you're not turning news around yourself as well, you know. Um, but I think each, each kid is different. I think that it needs to be a little bit of long-term view and not just a little short-termism of oh yeah my boy's going to play League of Ireland now he's, he's made it my girl has gone and she's playing with whoever under 13 she's made it it's not the case at, at all um, each kid is different I think there's going to be success stories come out from people who never play League of Ireland but obviously there's going to be a lot of ones that will hopefully come through the system and go through into, into first teams over here and that's the, that's the aim of it you know and hopefully that will happen yeah, but I think I've started to see that a little bit. Um, I, I do try and keep up with League of Ireland football, but I think the underage model has been a success so far. We're getting kids across. Yeah, I, I think I think I think there has been a certain few. Um, I don't know the numbers. Um, would these kids have made it without? I don't know. Um, I think look some of the 
some of the practices will be really, really good. And I know a lot of people involved in the underage football across the country are excellent. Um, I just think that, as I said, there's no, there's no kind of given that it's going to be a platform for success. It's, it's not. Mm-hmm. There isn't any anyway. That's up to yeah. the kids. It's up to the environment. It's up to whether you get that little bit of look or not. I think that from, from what I've seen down here, there's a lot of kids that are coming through the academy now, 17s, 19s, who are going to be top, top players. And I hope that they end up playing in the first team here. I hope that's what happens. And they're given the, the opportunity and chance to do that because a lot of them come through our course the last couple of years and some of them are really, really good, in my opinion, as good as what I've had um, regardless throughout my career. So I think that there's a lot in it and there's a lot of good work being done for sure. Yeah. How do you help out with... Um providing kids with perspective that they just based on the math alone, you know, everyone's not going to make it without killing yeah. their dream. So I think that conversation, Kev, is based a lot on trust. And if you just go in straight away and you say that to a 14 year old, they're automatically thinking that you don't have faith in them and that you don't think that they're going to be able to achieve what they've set out to achieve. Like you, you look at it, right? Any, any kid in the UK, for example, when they sign a contract at the club at under eight, they get brought to the stadium to sign it, right? So an eight-year-old will walk into the stadium, they'll sign a little form, they get a little picture taken. And it's with the aim then of showing them the pitch and saying to them, listen, in, in 10 years' time, if things go well, that's where you'll be playing. And that's the dream for them all. The reality of it is that one, two, three percent of them will make it, right? And that's, that's the way it is. That's, that's the, real, the reality of it. I think what's important as coaches... What we've got to be is unbelievably honest. And I always believe myself in telling players what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And there's a big difference. Um, there's a huge difference in, in that, you know. And you come to review time at the end of the season and you might come in with your mum and dad and we're under 14. And I might say to you, Kev, yeah, Kem was excellent. He's green lights and this, this and this. He's seven, eight, nines out of tens and all these. He'll be fine. He'll, he'll go on and he'll be excellent. Then the following year, you struggle. And you're looking at it in two ways. Well, are you struggling with a new coach or is that previous coach just given a really inflated view of where you are just to probably pacify himself? Um, so I think that little bit of trust is, is unbelievably important and that little bit of perspective. And it's almost, you say to a player, they got to have a plan B. Their plan B has really got to be their plan A, Kev, because so many of them are not going to make it. Your, your plan B can't be that... You can't, your plan B can't be falling on 3%, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do think a little bit of perspective is needed. I also think that, I also think that in, order to, in order to succeed, they need to have a little bit of probably emotional intelligence and understand the game and understand where they are and parents need to understand that this is a process. They need to just go and enjoy it and don't take the joy out of it, um, but always have a plan in place, education, education-wise for sure. And at the very least, what I would say to the players would be, look, I want you to make sure you do well in school here because by you keeping your brain active, you might actually train your brain, which means that you might be able to make better decisions on the pitch. And if you're engaged throughout the day in education and your brain is switched on and you're not falling asleep and you're not daydreaming, then chances are when you come to training, you're going to be bright and alert anyway. You know, like you see, you see lots of players even later on in their career and they, they undertaking degrees. Like I've seen likes of Cialini and that, the undertaking degrees. They're not doing that because they need, they, need, they need to have a few quid coming in every, every week at the end of their careers. That's not what it is. They're keeping their brain active, you know, and yeah. I, think that, I think that can help, you know. 
Yeah, no, that's great advice, great perspective from there because um, it's, it's tough on a lot of kids. I've seen it here uh, working at the collegiate level with American football. We're a Division two program and we have kids that want to play in the NFL, which yeah. at Division one level, there's a 1.6% chance. So ours is even less than that. Yeah. And that's, and that's what they got to see from the start, you know. And, but without kids, you, you can't say, like, if I had my time back, I would still go and make the choice I made and I would still try and go and be a footballer. No, even though when I know now, and if I had a child and they were going through the system, I'd be giving them every opportunity to do it as well because it is a dream and somebody's got to do it. I'm sure if John O'Shea didn't have that dream and didn't have that drive and desire back all them years ago, he wouldn't have been as successful as what he is. Um, so you, you don't kill that, but there's always a, right, come here, what if? Now, I need you to make sure that you're switched on in school because if you're not switched on in school this week, I can't play you on the weekend. And you just hang that over him a little bit, you know. And like even now with what we do now, yes, it's a football program, but it's massively an education program. And DTB are brilliant with that. Our education providers are excellent with it. The FAI understand exactly that, yeah, we want to get a couple more in around international squads. Um, we, we get that. But success looks different for different people. I'm as proud as some of the ones that have gone on to do football scholarships as the ones I that have left us and have got their first apprenticeship. I'm as, I'm as proud of them because that's absolute relative success to them, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Paddy, that's about it. That's all I have for you today. I know it's been no a little bit on the longer end. I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> no hassle, Kev. Any time, bye.